United cannot seem to stop winning under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with a 1-0 victory at Wembley over Spurs. Arsenal fall 1-0 to West Ham courtesy of 19-year-old Declan Rice. Liverpool squeeze past Brighton at the Amex with a penalty scored by Mohamed Salah. And lastly, in the strangest game of the weekend by far, Fulham managed to somehow beat themselves. All this and more coming up on the Starting Eleven podcast. Welcome to episode one of the Starting Eleven podcast, a brand new podcast breaking down the latest news from around the football world. I am your host, Justin Borrow, and with me today are Peter Robinson. Hey. And Chengiz Khan. Hello. Did you know the reason mountains get so big is because they have no natural predators? <laughs> you think about that. All right, Peter, let's jump right into it, buddy. What beer are we drinking today for this pod? All right, beer of the week. This week, uh, Flying Monkeys. Theoretical zero squared. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Flying Monkeys is a local brewery in Barrie, Ontario, about an hour north of Toronto. Um, yeah, I really like it. It's not too bad. It's got zero hops, but it's it's hoppy and bitter like a regular IPA. All right, and let's jump right into the week. It was a huge weekend. Uh, Spurs United. United pull off a massive 1-0 victory at Wembley on Sunday. I don't think we can avoid the fact that this team is looking revitalized under Solskjaer. Uh, Although Spurs had more chances, they dominated in the second half. United defended cohesively. Uh, De Gea made some incredible saves to keep the clean sheet. And United now sit on 41 points tied with Arsenal. Uh, This was an exciting game to watch. Can you bottle it in week 22? Match week 22? I don't know if you can. But it seems Spurs have already done it. I mean... it's Spurs. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... This was their shot. Beat a top six club or beat a top four club even and gain some points uh, and keep the title race alive. And they didn't do it this week. Granted, they came up against, I guess, the best goalkeeper in the world this week with David De Gea with his season high in saves. But really, they they need something else. They need something that's going to push them uh, into the likes of Liverpool and Man City. This is going to hurt to say, because full disclosure, I am a Liverpool fan, but I think United looked the real deal. You know, the, so much of the narrative and the build-up to this game was, how good are United really? Are they just flat-track bullies under Solskjaer, or can they really mix it up with the big boys? You know, based on the game yesterday, it really hurts me to say, but I don't think they're too far off from being a top-four team anymore. I'm not sure we can really say United are at the level of uh, Liverpool, City or Chelsea. But the signs were there. This was an end-to-end game. They had plenty of chances. They took one really good chance with a world-class pass from Paul Pogba. And they got the result, which is against Spurs. And I know, you know, you say they've had their issues and they need reinforcement, Peter, but... They're still, like, Spurs are a title, or they were a title-contending team, and they beat them. This is a massive statement of intent by United. I think just to quickly touch on that as well, um, Spurs have a world-class striker at their uh, fingertips. However, they are lacking depth in their squad, and that is where they are um, getting hurt and where they're not able to kind of push towards the end of the season. There is that... As you guys saw at the end of the game, Kane went down, looks like another ankle injury. When you don't have that depth, those kind of things worry you a lot more than they would a team like a United or a team like a Chelsea or a City. Um, So I think that 
one of the big issues that Spurs are facing is that they're, they're, they're not able to rest their their top striker. They're not able to rest their top three because they don't really have anybody of the same quality or near the same quality to, to come in and replace them. I think it's going to hurt them even more now that uh, Son's going to the Asian Games. Uh, I think I read earlier that Kane is going to be out for maybe a month um, and it's another ankle injury. Uh, it, it just seems like you need somebody to come in. Uh, you can't have Lamella up top. Lorente isn't good enough to play that uh, striker role. He doesn't give you the same things that Kane gives you. Um, so I really think this is going to hurt Spurs. I, they have to do something. Otherwise, they're not going to hold on to a Champions League spot. And bearing in mind, they had virtually no rest after the World Cup. Like They just went straight into preseason. None of these players really had much of a rest. And especially Kane with a really well successful campaign, Golden Boot in the World Cup. You know, he played all the games bar one, right? So he needed that rest, and I'm not surprised that it's caught up to him, honestly. I mean, but that said, you know, I mean, uh, as a Liverpool fan, we've always had world-class talent, but we've never had the depth. Like, So I really empathize. When Suarez got injured for us a couple of years ago, we didn't know who to play up front. And every time he wasn't in our starting eleven, whether it was because he was injured or whether it was because he bit someone <laughs> you know we we suffered and it's you know you, you make the Laurenti comparison but like how do you replace Kane who can you get you can't that's that's the biggest problem right now is that whoever you put in there your quality is going to drop it doesn't matter because you're not going to spend 100 million and get a decent striker because that's what they're going for nowadays uh so realistically he's irreplaceable at this time gotta agree with you there and we're just going to quickly jump back over to the united side uh, to touch on what you were saying chengiz uh so we had that beautiful pass from pogba to rashford i think the biggest difference right now for united underneath the Salkshar's manager is that united are playing with confidence uh, i think it's safe to say that a couple months ago under Mourinho, chances are that rashford would have probably snatched that shot it probably would have gone either wide over the top, he would have rushed it. But if you're watching, he takes the ball down, takes a second, places it in the bottom corner. It's a beautiful strike. Uh, and I, I feel like you're starting to see that confidence now coming out of United uh, under Solskjaer. And I think that's a huge difference. And I would not be surprised if we end up seeing United in the top four by the end of the season. Well, you're the United expert, obviously. Um, but it is it is actually fairly refreshing from a neutral perspective to see United shed their skin. Like, you could just tell there was a depression amongst the players it was just a really negative body language so many backwards and sideways passes and now they they're energized they're they're playing freely they just they play they're playing with no fear which we haven't seen since sir alex ferguson honestly we've had moments and flashes under van hal but not to this level this is really like the last time i saw this kind of fire was when ryan giggs was manager for like three games or something and just that end of the season I think was it uh Moyes was relieved right and then they had gigs come in and just those three games I was just curious and so I tuned in and it was just like wow where where was this United all, all season so you know the players are aware of the culture and the expectations of United but they've just had the wrong personnel and honestly after this if they can pull out another result against a big team like they still have to play Liverpool at home if they can get a result there, give Solskjaer the job permanently. And I think that's going to be the, the big test coming up is to see how this team continues. And I think when you're really going to see 
the honeymoon period sort of disappears is when United do eventually face a really tough game or eventually a loss under Solskjaer is going to be how the team bounces back from that. Uh, another question I have for you guys is, do you guys think that this is going to set a precedent now for teams that are, are, are playing with low confidence because of a manager that the players don't like, the fans don't like, for them to bring in an ex-legend to come in, revamp the team, and uh, and see if that sort of drives them to 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 boosting up the morale. I mean, it's always something that clubs have done. They've always brought in people that know the club culture, that understand you know the glory days, or at least what may be the glory days for a club. Um, so I could see it happen, but realistically, it, I don't really see it making a big change to you know a team like Huddersfield. Um, you know who's who's Fulham going to bring in. You know what I mean? Uh, so there's, there's a lot of legends out there, but how many are good managers? How many are good man managers? How many worked under good managers? Because you can have a good team, but it doesn't necessarily mean you had a good manager. United was suffering from a confidence problem. They were suffering from a formation problem. Suffered from a Mourinho problem. <laughs> and, and Solskjaer's come in and fixed all of that. In six games, they look like world beaters. They look like if you put them in the round of 16 in the Champions League, they might actually be able to make the final. They might actually be able to make the semi. So I think that kind of confidence is infectious. And I think it's it's going to just, it bodes well for United for the rest of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if they finished top three. So I don't know about top three, but otherwise I completely agree with you. Like big clubs like Spurs, United, Liverpool, Arsenal, definitely, you know, Big clubs who have won a lot, you know, they're more likely to have players that A, can manage because, you know, they have a very good understanding of what it means to win at the biggest, highest stages. Um, but also the stature, like Ole Gunnar Skullshire, you know, he walks into a room, you sit up and you listen, whether you're 34 or 24 or, you know, whatever. You, you know, you lure people into clubs like that based on their stories and then suddenly the legend from that story show up they that's going to have an effect on the dressing room and that's going to negate any kind of emotion that was there before but not every club has that luxury i'm saying like Huddersfield. i mean we'll get on to that with david wagner uh leaving by mutual consent earlier today um you know they they can't bring in someone like that so and and in any case you know, bringing in a club legend could be a stabilizing thing. It's like, I definitely think that uh, Solskjaer being brought in was primarily a stabilization thing. It wasn't because he was some tactical genius. He was managing mold, I think, in, in Norway. Yeah. So, and, and, and that's, you know, Norwegian League isn't the Premier League with all due respect. So it's not like, you know, he's on the level of Klopp or Guardiola and he's been brought into, um, you know, revolutionize United. So what we saw with a manager like Mourinho at United was that he was keeping players locked down. Um, he was keeping them uh, locked to positions. He wasn't giving them the freedom to play. Uh, players like Rashford, players like Pogba, they need their freedom to play the position how they play it. And when you do give them that, you see that the results that you're seeing now. Uh, Pogba has been absolutely vital to the last six or eight goals that United has scored. Uh, whether he assisted or scored in them. Uh, and Rashford has scored in six out of his last eight Premier League games, uh, three games straight, uh, something he's never done before in his senior career. 
what we're seeing now is is like I said a revitalization of United under Solskjaer and I mean the the players are playing well and if they continue this run of form if they make it deep in the Champions League if they make it deep in the FA Cup how do you not keep him it's a hard question it's a hard hard thing to kind of look like if I were on the board of directors you know you've got the evidence in front of you it's it's a no-brainer they have to keep him and honestly at this point how many top man- managers are available that could take United to this level? You know, for the memes, I would love to see Big Sam at United. Big Sam Allardyce. I would absolutely love that. And I, w- right yeah. and I would I would love every United press conference. That would be the highlight of my week is just tuning in. But on a more serious note, I think I'd like I don't think you should give Solskjaer the job right now. It's too soon. But let's see how the season goes. And if they end up in a even in a Europa League spot, that would be a massive success for United. Top four, definitely on the cards, for sure. All right, guys. Well, let's look at the ugly side of this game that happened on Sunday. Uh, 77th minute, Paul Pogba goes in, attempts to step over the ball, studs up on Deli Ali's thigh. Uh, a yellow card given by the referee. I think it was a red extremely bad tackle on Pogba's part. No, you know, Premier League referees are the best in the world. I, I completely agree. No, I can't say that with a straight face. I'm sorry. That was a red. That was a leg breaker any day of the week. I mean, a little bit more contact, and he could have had a really serious injury there. I think Pogba was extremely lucky to get away with the yellow. And there is an opportunity for the uh, Football Association to go back and look at the tackle yeah, and but possibly do give anything. further sanctions. But there's a possibility. Yeah. So we have to keep that in mind. I see what he was trying to do. We all saw what he was trying to do. He was trying to just put a leg in front, pull the ball back. It happens. But the way that he went into the tackle, uh, studs up, um, and where he impacted Deli Alley, right in the right in the thigh. It's not even like he hit him in the lower leg. He hit him in the thigh. So that's a high boot almost already. Uh, and then hitting him with the studs, it just, to me, it was a straight red. I think if VAR had been in play, Pogba would have been sent off. And I think that would have completely changed the match. Um, but, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, we see all the replays and we think it's got to be a red. Mike Dean obviously didn't see it as a red. Uh, so we have to go with what the referee says, unfortunately. But to me, obvious straight red. All right, and now moving on to another game from the weekend. Arsenal fall 1-0 to West Ham, courtesy of 19-year-old Declan Rice's first senior career goal. Fantastic goal, honestly. Yet again, Granik Xhaka sort of asking questions of, of, well, everybody asking questions of Granik Xhaka, inviting that sort of pressure onto him. But honestly, such a well-taken goal. Really strange game overall, though. Watching all of that, I did not expect the Hammers to get a result, to be completely honest, even though they were at home. Um, I think Samir Nasri was the difference. He had a fantastic game despite not playing for 18 months. And I don't think Arsenal knew how to deal with him. He was constantly in space. He always made the right passes. He moved the ball really, really well. And just one moment of quality from Declan Rice, of all people. It's a very strange game all around, but I'm... You know what? Props to West Ham. They deserve that win. And I have to agree with you there uh, in regards to uh, Nasri playing his heart out that game. Uh, Peter, would you say that it was a case of a point to prove for Nasri? I think so. After being let go by Arsenal, um, I think it was important for him to come out and show this is who I am. This is the player that you let go. It might be a couple years later, but 
you know, he, he's still a capable Premier League player. Uh, and West Ham, obviously, they're benefiting from that. Uh, Declan Rice is benefiting from that after getting his first uh, senior team goal. So, you know what? Good for him. I think the FA are kicking themselves right now uh, because he's he's going to be a good player for years to come. Uh, and he's tied into the Re- uh, Republic of Ireland FA right now. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens with that. But realistically, good for Declan Rice. Uh, I'm uh, I'm happy Arsenal lost. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think all of us in this room are happy that uh, Arsenal I lost. I think er- everyone is always happy when Arsenal loses, except for Arsenal fans. That said, Arsenal fan TV. It's it's hilarious. I love it. I love it. I love watching it just because you know one day they'll be like Arsenal's the best. The second the second that anything bad happens, all of a sudden they're throwing everybody under the butt. I'm tired, Robbie. Although the special guest this week on Arsenal Fan TV, Mia Khalifa. She's a big West Ham fan. She right? says she's a West Ham fan. <laughs> she, you know, like we want to mock, but she actually knew her shit. Like really well. Supposedly well, she's a big Washington Capitals fan too. She supports a few teams as well. Like she was talking about them. Why do I know so much about Mia Khalifa? Listen, I'm a fan. Enough said. All right, let's continue on here with the weekend. Liverpool squeezed past Brighton in a tense match at the Amex. Salah got the winning goal off a penalty in the 50th minute. Uh, I think it's safe to say that this game had a lot of tension to it. I mean, look at Liverpool. We're not on the best run of form. Uh, they lost to City. They lost to Wolves. There's a lot of tension right now. This team is looking for their first title in the Premier League era. Um, but they got the result they needed. They're still top of the table. Chengiz. What were your thoughts on this game? We weren't we weren't on our rhythm, we weren't on the pace, but we were in our element. And that is something that I have not seen from a Liverpool team for an extremely long time. Even though it was only 1-0. Even though it wasn't the best of games from everybody. We never really felt like I ne- personally as a fan, like I'm like we have a saying in Liverpool circles and forums, never unclench. All right. And for the first time, like in Brighton, which is a cagey place to play football, I felt like I could unclench. I felt like I didn't feel like I was ever worried about the result. I never felt like we were going to lose or concede. It wasn't the best game, but we got the result out the end. This is what title winning teams do. They don't have good games all the time, but they grind out results and they get the points, and they move on. And so for that reason, I'm really happy with the performance. I do agree, like, there was some tension going in, like, but that said, losing to City, City were, were you know, that was a must-win game for City, and they turned it up to 12. Their play was amazing. That whole game was just a really good game for both teams. And the atmosphere of the, of the Etihad, which is, you know, something we like to make fun of, it was electric, like everybody showed up and everybody yelled and and sang and they made it a tough place to play football. So no shame in losing to City at all. They're a fantastic team. They should be winning the title based on their points alone if it wasn't for us. And then Wolves, FA Cup, you know, we were always going to play second string. So I'm not too worried about that. So it's not like we were on a bad run of form coming into it. We had two bad results, came back, got the result. Very happy. I have to agree with you. You got to grind out results. If you're going to win the title, sometimes you have to go in you know, on a rainy Tuesday night in Stoke and get three points somehow. Uh, and let's just say this With was... With Charlie Adam kicking at your heels the entire time. Yeah, let's just say this was Liverpool's, you know, 
rainy afternoon or rainy Tuesday night in uh, in Stoke, but instead it was a Saturday afternoon in Brighton. And Brighton has been good at home. As, as much as they're not doing that well this, this season, Brighton's good at home. Um, and Glenn Murray, for some reason, that guy can still put the ball in the back of the net, and he's always a danger. Um, so you know what? Good on, obviously, Van Dyke. He's probably the best defender in the world right now. It hurts some of us to say it, uh, especially when, especially when he's just coming from the, uh, you know, the Liverpool reserve squad in Southampton. But um, it's been a year. <laughs> yeah, but we are gonna rhyme off names right now, but we won't. So, but <laughs> uh, I think Fabinho actually did a really good job in the center of defense with him, um, considering they had Joel Matip on the bench. Um, not using him and using Fabinho instead. I think it just gave them something different. You've got Van Dyke to uh, sort of support him and do the Glenn Murray job um, and letting Fabinho kind of play a little bit more um, and playing out from the back. And I think it showed. They actually, uh, you know, they bossed the game. They might have only been 1-0, but they bossed the game. Yeah, it's like Van Dyke. You could put... <laughs> if Van Dyke can make Dejan Lovren look like a world-class defender, then what happens when you put... Fabinho next to him who can actually defend you know I was never really in doubt like even even against Wolves even though we lost 2-0 2-1 sorry um Fabinho didn't really put much of a foot wrong like he was caught out of position a few times but he didn't make rash challenges he wasn't like playing like a midfielder he was playing like a defender he has experience at center back he has experience all across the back line most recently right back with at Monaco and He's got defensive instincts, so all he needed really was a was a marshal to just kind of keep him in the back. There was a moment in the game actually where Van Dyke was just yelling at Trent Alexander Arnold just to get back in line. But this is like 89th minute; everyone's tired, but he's still yelling at him, and he wouldn't stop yelling at him until he heard him. And that's a trait you don't see in many defenders in world football: is that absolute authority figure. And that's what Van Dyke is. You could put. Kijana Hover, who's our 16-year-old, who played against Wolves. You could put him next to Van Dyke. I'd be confident he'd keep, he'd keep it clean shade just because Van Dyke is just that good. It's not just about the defensive ability, but just about everything else he brings to that position and that back line. Now, I'm just surprised we didn't see the human utility knife at center back, James Milner. <laughs> that guy plays everywhere. Yeah, but he's five foot 11. You just have to chip it over him and run past him and that'll be it. All right, well, let's keep moving on, guys. Everton bounced back after a two-game losing streak with a 2-0 victory over Bournemouth, launching them back into the top half of the table. There have been some serious questions asked recently of Silva's squad. Uh, A pretty comprehensive victory here for the Blues at home. Uh, What did you boys think of the game? I mean, nothing spectacular. Uh, Bournemouth's kind of been on a downward spiral ever since the new year. Uh, So really it's not surprising to me that they went in and won. Um, it's it's one of those games where uh, Bournemouth, they were flying high. Like I said, downward spiral. Uh, take the points and run for Everton. You know, you need to improve your spot in the Premier League table. Take the points and run. Doesn't matter how the game was. Doesn't matter how it looked. Um, you know, and the manager's going to do the same thing. He's going to say, you know what, three points. That's all I need. Yeah, I, there's not really much to say about it. I mean, I think... Like, I know more about Everton than Bournemouth just because of the Liverpool connection. I think Everton needed this result. 
big time. They needed some confidence back in the team. They need, like, Marco Silva is a fantastic manager. How he ended up at Everton is beyond me, personally. <laughs> but he needed to get results. He's got a good squad. They've been underperforming, and they got results. So, really, that's that's sort of it. Just mid-table fodder for me. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised that Liverpool reserves didn't, didn't get the result, but there you go. That said, we didn't we didn't have world class striker Dominic Solanke on the bench either. So, realistically, if we're talking about Bournemouth, uh, all the rumors with Eddie Howe circulating around that you know he might be the next to go into the Spurs job if Pochettino goes to United. Um, after seeing this kind of downward spiral that's happened, is he still in contention? Uh, I think that's my biggest question right now. Is He's got a good young team. He's groomed this young talent. And how many of them are going to get sold? Nathan Ake being linked back to Stamford Bridge to go back to Chelsea. Um, Ryan Fraser, he's really good. Uh, David Brooks is really good. Someone that they signed for absolutely nothing. Um, I think they could turn a big profit on them. But then where does that leave you? Um, as well, if you lose Eddie Howe, who's been there for I don't even know how many years, um, you know, from playing to managing and bringing them up through the uh, the table and through the leagues. Where does that leave Bournemouth? Bournemouth should not get rid of Eddie Howe under any circumstance unless they can replace him with someone better. Because Bournemouth, like, when they came up, we all thought, okay, relegation team, nothing really here to write home about. But they've made he's made them solidly mid-table and he's kept them there for a number of years. I think it would be a mistake... For Eddie Howe to go to Spurs because of all the work Pochettino's done over the last few years with Spurs, like they're top three, maybe top two team, and that's a hard act to follow. And I don't think Eddie Howe's ready for that, quite frankly. I think you need to turn Bournemouth into a top six or a top eight team consistently for a number of years before you start entertaining uh, the advances of of the big the big teams. So until he does that. Nobody should really be looking at Eddie Howe as a serious replacement for their squads, for their outgoing managers. And then Pochettino as well. I think like he's said a number of times that he wants to stay at Spurs. I don't know about the whole I want to retire here shtick that he's put in the media. I think everybody just says that to win over the fans. But he should stay at Spurs. Like, I, think, I think he is on the verge of creating something really good. I don't know where the impasse is, I think it's mostly transfer strategy with Daniel Levy with the new stadium and, you know, they, they're in an Arsenal situation like they were in the early 2000s. So, you know, once that gets sorted out, like he might have to ride it out for a couple more seasons until he gets some serious investment. But the second he gets that green light from Levy to spend 200 million in the summer, they could be really dangerous. And he won't get that opportunity United with the financial issues and their you know, revolving door managerial po- policy. And we're, we're going to get into that later into the pod as well. Um, Pochettino's comments on Spurs uh, transfer policy. Uh, but I think that's that's sort of what he was doing there, in my opinion, as well, when he made those comments, was he was sending off some warning shots to Daniel Levy saying, look, there's other teams that want me. I will leave. You know, I need more depth. You need to let me spend. And so I th- we're going to get into that later on. But I, I do think that that's also a thing. <laughs> Uh, so we found out today that David Wagner 
did leave Huddersfield in a mutual split, Changes. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I know you said it was a big deal before we started the pod that this kind of shocked you. Uh, what are your thoughts? I think, yeah, it did shock me because like, I, I haven't really been following Huddersfield. I just know that David Wagner is a very good manager and he's a very good person. He's very well respected by his players. He's well liked in the dressing room. So when you when that's your mental image of somebody and then you hear that they've lost their job, it does come up off as a little bit of a shock to you. But look, the, the stats speak for themselves. They're dead last with 11 points after 22 games. Something's got to give. You know, that's the right decision you have to make. You know, if you have ambitions of staying up, you've given the guy more than half a season. And he's been there for a couple of seasons now. You know, you've given the guy more than half a season to try and turn it around and try and keep themselves afloat. They're a very far cry to the outfit that they were last last season. And if I were the Huddersfield chairman, I would have done the exact same thing. As, as painful as it is, nobody's bigger than the club. Team comes first. Uh, any potential replacements, Peter, that you can think of? Uh, for a team like Huddersfield, I think they kind of look... Uh, <laughs> I think they kind of look internal. Um, I think it's going to be really hard to sell a manager on saving a squad like what they have. Um, and keeping them in the Prem. You know, you can't sell them on Premier League football at that point, so you have to sell them on Championship football. Um, yeah, I really don't see... I wouldn't have any suggestions at this time, um, but realistically, uh, it's going to be... It's going to be sad times, though, David, uh, David Wagner. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the point of the season. This is the awkward part of the season where, you you know, you've, you've got... As a manager, you've got enough time to try and turn it around and try and build something from basically the scraps of whatever the season is. This is where the promotion specialists come in. Pardew, Big Sam, you know, uh, Neil Warnock, these these old English, you know, institutions of managers that have just been around for dog's years. Would you go for one of them? Um, I'd, it's hard. It's it's hard to I'd say probably Big Sam would be the next the next choice for me. Um, based on the football that he plays. Um, I think realistically that's what they need. They need someone who's just going to come in and say, you know what, we're just going to bang bodies and win points, whether it's draws. Uh, you know, if we can get a couple of victories, we'll get a couple of victories. But realistically, they need something. Um, before the season started, they were kind of destined to be in that relegation battle anyway, so this isn't really surprising. Um, but you know, it, it sucks because Wagner was a, a Klopp protege. So you don't want to see one of them fail in the Premier League, especially when Klopp is flying so high. Uh, so it definitely does hurt. Um, and I, I really don't see where Huddersfield goes from here. Oh, I think at this point now, um, look, there's seven points out of safety. Um, they're chasing they're pushing a bus uphill without wheels right now at this point. I think what they're going to have to do is bring in another manager. Uh, I think Big Sam would be the best choice for them at this point. Uh, and they need to start to sort of prepare themselves for the championship and try to obviously make it back to promotion, bring themselves back to the Prem. Um, right now, in my opinion, uh, Huddersfield really need a striker. They're dominating games. They're keeping possession. They're moving the ball around defensively. They're not conceding a ton of goals, but they have zero finish. Uh, they got Mooney up top there, and they have absolutely zero finish in the final third. I think they need to bring in somebody uh, who's able to put the ball in the back of the net. It's it's 
it's a difficult time for them. So again, you don't have a lot of money to spend, uh, and unless you're gonna tr- you're gonna look at the loan market, something like that, um, it's it's hard. It's hard. And first, you have to think about who's gonna manage the team before you can even think about who you're gonna bring in. So you don't want to bring in someone who maybe doesn't work in the system. Um, obviously, you want someone who's talented, someone who's going to give you what you need. Um, but I think managers first and foremost right now. Yeah, it's, it, it's a very hard sell trying to recruit players into a relegation battle. It's pretty much impossible, especially if they're coming from a mid-table team, like across, like from from the continent or from other teams in different parts of the world. Here, come to come to Huddersfield. We've got eleven points on the table. Can you help us? That's a really big ask, and the only way you're going to get a player like that that can make a difference is if you pay them a lot of money, which they don't have. So, like Peter's saying, it depends on who the manager is. Like at this point, the best policy for Huddersfield, if they're toothless in attack, then make them hard as rocks to get past. They've got good defenders. They've got very. I wouldn't say very talented, but they've got players that can play football. So you just got to find a formation, find a set of tactics that works so that they become very hard to get past. And then we start thinking about the cheap goals from set pieces, you know, playing on the counter. I don't think they really have the personnel to play counterattacking football, but it's an option. You know, you have to grind out results and like seven points with 18 games, 18 games remaining, 16 games remaining. That's not the worst ask of a team in the world honestly all right let's carry on with the weekend leicester city fall 2-1 to a 10-man southampton after yan valerie received a red card for a second yellow after pulling down mark albrighton lazy defending on valerie's part knowing he was on a yellow still pulling albrighton down from behind like that i mean you have to ask yourself what was he thinking on Leicester's part now, serious questions are being asked of Claude Puel, and Leicester fans are upset, understandably. Uh, Leicester is sitting in eighth place currently, top half of the table. My opinion, it's a decent showing for what is considered to be a middle-of-the-pack type team. Uh, Peter, is this anger towards Puel justified? I think a little bit. Um, Leicester was flying high for a little little while there, uh, you know, winning a couple games on the hop, um, and now they're kind of coming back to earth uh they're a mid-table team at the end of the day they're a mid-table team they have talent um i think puel needs to do something uh, whether that's changing formations uh you know maybe trying a couple different uh combinations but you know what southampton under hassan hoodle they've been really good so i i can't even i can't even say that southampton deserved any less than they got uh the red card happened but they fought through it so you know good on them i think the frustration for lester fans is coming um like i was saying to chengiz before we uh, turned the mics hot um the the problem is that once you've won a, a prem title anything that's not a prem title is sort of seen as as bad um and so i, I feel like these fans are are seeing their team they're, they're back to the middle of the pack, kind of back to where they belong, but it, it doesn't feel the same as it did, obviously, when they won, um, which I do understand to to a point. But at the same time, Jesus, my brain just turned off. Sorry. Um, what was I going to say? There we go. 
So I do understand. But at the same time, you have to also realize that as a fan, when you see your team go down, you beat Chelsea, you beat Man City, top three teams here, and then you go and you lose to a bottom-of-the-table team like Southampton. I mean, it, it, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. So I do understand the frustration there. Chengiz, do you think it's justified? I disagree with your take on it, actually. I think, I think every Leicester fan knows that season was a fairy tale it was a fairy tale for everybody you know that was not supposed to happen that season and it did and 5,000 yeah 50,000 I think it was 50,000 50, 50, to one so Leicester fans they're, they're intelligent a lot they they know what the team is capable of they weren't res- expecting repeat success they were just expecting to enjoy the ride they did they had a fantastic season and that was it. I think they all expected Riyad Mahrez to leave. He did. They expected Jamie Vardy to leave to Arsenal at one point. He didn't. And, you know, Leicester are a good team. The, like, I look at their players. Harry, Harry Maguire, Wes Morgan, Schmeichel, Chilwell, Mendy, Ndidi, Vardy, to a lesser extent, Albrighton is a bit too inconsistent for my life. And then they have Ahinacho on the bench. Demarai Gray. These, this is a good squad. Like, this is definitely a good squad. This is a squad that could comfortably finish in the top half of the table. And I think this, the the Leicester fans know that. Their dissatisfaction, I think, comes from Poole. And I remember when he was managing Southampton, there was a similar sentiment. This is a good squad, but we're playing crap football. And they know they're playing crap football. The, the, like I think what they're used to is players being able to express themselves, players being able to you know mix it in with the big boys. Like every time Liverpool would come to Leicester, I would get nervous because I know that Jamie Vardy is not somebody you take lying down, you know, or he's not somebody who's going to take a beating lying down. He's going to get in your face and he's going to make life difficult for you. I don't feel f- afraid of Leicester like I did in the past seasons, and I think that's got to do with Peel. He's a negative manager in his football tactics, and I think he's sort of part of that Mourinho school of football philosophy. I think that's why they're upset with him, not because they used to win, or not because they won titles and now they're not. I think they're upset with the manager because his football just sucks. Let's not forget that James Madison was the crown jewel of championship football last season. He was supposed to come in and be this creative genius for for Leicester, uh, and he really hasn't had that opportunity. Uh, and that really, it goes down to the manager. All right, justified points from both of you. Uh, let's quickly talk about some other results of the league. Uh, Crystal Palace fall 2-1 to Watford, and Chelsea defeat Newcastle 2-1 on goals by Pedro and Willian. Uh, let's just discuss what was by far the strangest game of the weekend. Uh, Fulham managed to somehow beat themselves as Burnley win 2-1 without registering a single shot on target. Let me say that again. They did not register a single shot on target, and yet they won 2-1, uh, a feat on its own accord. Um, so two own goals minutes apart by Brian and O'Doy sealed their fate. Uh, however, it was a dream start by Fulham with that wonder strike by Sherlock. Uh, two minutes in, Peter, what did you think? Well, amazing goal. First off, uh, that's exactly what you have to say when you see uh, an Andre Schurler worldy like that. Let's just say worldy. Vintage Schurler. Yeah. You have to say great goal, but then it just fell off. And then it was, you know, Fulham playing decently well, Burnley doing what they usually do with the counterattacking football, playing the ball up to wood. They have to 
get a little bit more creative, I think. They got to do something else. I know that that's not the way that Dyche plays, but they need something different. Fulham, unlucky. Obviously, unlucky. But it happens. The ball is round. It's going to bounce one way one game. It's going to bounce one way the other game. It's really what you have to break it down to is the ball is right. Uh, c- calm down there, Michael Owen. Don't want to get alienate our viewers too much. I, I think for me, the, the what made it so such a comedy of errors was just the fact that both own goals were scored on balls that were not going anywhere near the net. They were just going, one was across the box, off the leg. Second one, right off of Adoy's forehead into the net. It was just, it, it honestly was like three minutes of, comedy of errors just I felt bad for Fulham in that in that moment there I felt bad for Ranieri um but you know what now the question is are they gonna be able to bounce back like if that's the low of 2018-19 we're we're set all right and that's gonna do us now for part one coming up in part two we look at the January transfer window and what it could mean for those clubs involved you're listening to the starting 11 podcast Hey, podcast listeners, if you like what you hear so far, please leave a rating or review and let us know your thoughts about the show. Also, we'd love to hear from you. So please send your comments or questions to the starting 11 podcast at gmail.com. That's the starting XI podcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at XI podcast. And now back to the show. Welcome back to the Starting Eleven podcast. Let's jump right into the January transfer window and start at Stamford Bridge with Chelsea. Bayern Munich have increased their bid for the English U19 star Callum Hudson-Odoi up to thirty-five million pounds after three previous failed bids. Uh, clearly, they are hungry for this transfer to happen. Hudson-Odoi has expressed wishes to leave Chelsea, even though Maurizio Sarri has made it clear that he sees Hudson-Odoi in his long-term plans for the club. Uh, Chengiz, do you believe Hudson-Odoi fits into Sarri's long-term plans? plans i mean as a manager who doesn't seem to go into his young players a lot um doesn't show a lot of trust in his younger players it is understandable that he's unsettled uh does this move benefit hudson odoi or should he stay and continue to develop at stanford bridge well if he's not playing there's nothing to develop right and also you have to think about chelsea as a club do not do young players they just don't they've given away who have they given away kevin de bruyne mohammed salah just to name it, Romelu Lukaku. You know, all of these are now world-class players and they did not invest in their potential. They did not train them well. And I think Hudson-Odoi is, is a smart lad. He knows this. He knows that Chelsea are not well-equipped to deal with talented young individuals. If they are, they're only there because it's a business thing uh, for financial reasons. So, and also I find it particularly, I think, I, I find it particularly funny that, you know, Sarri is expressing long term plans for Chelsea but this is Chelsea they have a new manager every season what long-term plans is he talking about right so you know with by when Bayern comes knocking you don't say no primary you just don't but that said if I was a young player I wouldn't want to be necessarily looking at Bayern to get my next step up because you're just going from one line stand to another He's going to be facing all sorts of expectations, especially with uh, Ribéry and Rob, Robin, you know, getting very old now. One of them's leaving at the end of the season. I forget which one. Um, but then he has to fill their shoes right away. He's 18. 
Like, how's he going to do this? The, like, it's it's a really... I think he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. I think he has to leave Chelsea. That's There's no doubt in my mind about that. But whether Bayern is the right place, I guess he just has to take that gamble and hope for the best. I think it actually came out today that hudson Odoi has actually said that he's going to uh, refuse any contract offers that Chelsea gives him. Uh, so they can either sell him for a profit um, or they can let him leave at the end of the season for free. Uh, it, it, obviously, it's it's giving them an ultimatum. It's make money or don't make money. It's your choice. Um, which I guess is a smart move on his part. Um, it kind of forces their hand to do something. Um and realistically, I think it's going to end in a transfer to Bayern. Um, Bayern is going under this little bit of a, a change right now, a metamorphosis. So we're getting out of the, the Robin and Ribery times. They need someone else to come in. Uh, Hudson Odoi is obviously someone else that they've looked at. Um, and the Canadian kid, Alfonso Davies, uh, just played his first game for Bayern. Um, wasn't on the score sheet, but if you look up uh alfonso davies nutmeg uh you'll see what he did um so i think he's exciting i think byron likes that uh that they can have that sort of two-headed monster on the wings of hudson adoy and alfonso davies hopefully at some point um in the future but realistically if i'm byron munich and he's already said i don't want to sign for chelsea i'm not offering 35 million anymore because we can just get him for free at the end of the season so I'm saying, okay, here's ten million for Hudson Odoi. Take it or leave it. I think for for from Bayern's perspective, you want to bring him in now, so he has half a season to get up to speed with Bayern and get with the program, get with the tactics. Because Nico Kovac isn't really going anywhere. I mean, there were some rumors about his job being under threat because they were having issues at the start of the season, but I think that those have largely settled now. Um, I would try and get Hudson Odoi now, just for that, so that he can he can be ready to go at the start of next season. I mean, preseason obviously is good, but if you have six months leading up into that, you know, get him settled in Germany, get him up to speed, get some German lessons, you know, all the rest of it, like the, the whole, the, the German lessons, yeah. yeah. But the, the whole cultural aspect of an English player going abroad, it, there's so many bad stories and you want to take your time with players like that too. It's actually started to get a little bit better. So you look at Jaden Sancho, you look at Reese Nelson, right. uh, guys like that. They're, they're seeing that the Bundesliga is an opportunity for them to get first-team football um, in a good league. The Bundesliga, yeah. if you've ever watched it, really good league. Obviously, they compete really well in the Champions League when they do get in or uh, when their, their teams do play. Um, so it's, it's a great opportunity, and I could see why a lot of young English players are doing it, especially when you have managers like Sarri coming into Chelsea who don't use youth players. Right. They don't like to. So go somewhere where, you know, you can be 18 and be a starter. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about Bayern specifically because the last time they had a really hot youth prospect coming in was Renato Sanchez. That didn't really work out. He's still there, but he got loaned out a couple of times, and he's still like still lots of question marks around his future and what he can bring to Bayern. They don't really play him. I mean, they've got a very good midfield already. Like with Alfonso Davies, like he's very much a substitute option. That said, there is a much clearer route into the first team for Hudson Odoi because he plays on the wing. Um, so yeah, uh, it's a, it's a wait and see. I think he definitely needs to leave Chelsea though. 
So sticking with the Blues, as you guys know, Cesc Fabregas just played his first game this weekend with Thierry Henry's Monaco side in League One. Um, so Blues have had their eye on a replacement, uh, 22-year-old Nicolo Barella from Syria Asside uh, Cagliari. Uh, so rumors the fee could be as high as 45 million pounds. The young midfielders made 20, 20 appearances in all competitions and scored once, having risen through Cagliari's youth academy. Look, I think this is a good move for Chelsea. You bring in a young, versatile midfield midfielder who I believe would fit nicely into Maurizio Sarri's system. Um, it would be a great replacement for Pat Fabregas. Uh, Brella is a central midfielder. He's grounded in the center of the park. His ball distribution is great. Uh, I think it would complement Chelsea's attacking play. Uh, he has that versatility. He's able to jump up, join the attack when need be. So overall, I think this is the right choice, Peter, for the Blues. To me, Brella sounds a lot like Jorginho. Uh, but with a bit more of an attacking mindset. So he doesn't sit back as much, um, which I think is going to be a little bit beneficial to Chelsea moving forward. Um, 45 million for a 22-year-old, realistically in today's market, that's peanuts. Um, and Sarri has a in-depth knowledge of the Italian league. So obviously, if he thinks that this guy is good enough to come in and be a squad player for Chelsea... Um, why not take a chance on him? My only issue with it is what we were just talking about with Hudson Adoy. He's a younger player. How much squad time is he actually going to get? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say 45 million is peanuts, but I agree with everything else. Like, if Sari has found a player that he thinks is good for the club, then you should go for it by by all means. It's just it's just weird because they've got Jorginho, they've got Kante, they've got Kovacic. They can make permanent at the end of the summer. I mean, I mean, I thought I thought Jorginho was the the like for like replacement for Fabregas. He's got the vision. He's got the the same sort of passing style, the same sort of dribbling, the same sort of positional play. So, did he really need replacing? I I think Fabregas is one of those players. It's hard to replace, yeah. and that hurts me to say uh, because I don't like Arsenal. I don't like Chelsea, but he is hard to replace. I think it's a great signing by Thierry Henry to get someone uh, with that experience, with that vision of the game. Uh, it's really going to help his Monaco side. I think it kind of hurts Chelsea a little bit. Um, but if this Barella kid is as good as Sarri thinks he is, uh, it, it could be the, the logical like for like replacement. That's assuming if Sarri stays past the season. That is also right? true. All right, jumping now to Spurs. Tottenham has accepted a bid of 11 million pounds from Guangzhou for Moussa Dembele. The 31-year-old Belgian midfielder had expressed an interest in moving to China once his contract had expired after stating that his injury issues, he does not feel that he can keep up with the pace of the Prem League. Uh, fans have had quite the reaction to the news, believing that Dembele is worth a lot more. Uh, Peter, coming to you first on this one. It is, uh, but Moussa Dembele has always been that player where you wonder how he made the Premier League until you watch him play. And then you're like, oh, okay, that's why he made the Premier League. That's why he's a good player. But at 31 years old, I think we're lucky. I think Spurs are lucky to get $11 million for him, especially given his injury issues. Um, good on him to say, I can't keep up with this league anymore. Make something off of my, off of my sale so that you guys aren't left with nothing at the end of my contract or you're paying my wages while I rehab every single injury I get. So, you know, good on him to do that. 
I I really respect Musa Dembele for making that choice. Um, I have no problem with this transfer. I think he's just following a lot of other Prem players going to China. Uh, we look at like Oscar went there, right? Um, so Prem players do like to go there. Um, you get paid more. I'm not sure exactly what the contract terms are, but I'm sure it's more than he's making at Spurs because um, he's going to sell jerseys. He's going to put assets in seats, and that's exactly what he's there for. Um, we'll see how many games he actually plays for Guangzhou, but you know, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good deal for them. I think it's a good deal for Spurs. Yeah, absolutely. Fair play to to Dembele for actually coming out, like you said, and just accepting his limitations as a player now. You know, it, it does take a toll on you mentally and physically if you can't do the thing that, you know, you're being paid to do for for a very long time too. And at this point, he's 31. His body isn't what it used to be. He's probably just thinking about long-term stability for his family. Take the paycheck, honestly. Go to China, have some fun, start a new adventure, and just laugh all the way to the bank in case it doesn't work out. Um, but... Yeah, no, I think I think the reason people are surprised by the fee is like he's had a contract in the summer anyways, right? Yeah, yeah. So the fee's fair, you know, for for a midfielder, a very good midfielder who's got six months left on his contract. That fee's always going to be low. But I think they're just surprised, especially when you hear like the likes of Arnautovic is going for 45 million now. Like the, we expect when China comes knocking, you're some ridiculous figure for somebody who's not worth that money. But in this case, I think the, ma- the valuation matches the asset perfectly. Fair play. And I, I think with his injury issues, you're right there in the sense that is his valuation is right where it should be, in my opinion, as well. Uh, we're going to keep with the Spurs here and quickly talk about what we mentioned earlier in the pod. Uh, Pochettino expressing his frustration on how Tottenham has been operating. Uh, so he stated that they must change their ways if they wish to win a trophy. Uh, Spurs have spent only 50 million pounds since bringing Pochettino on board four years ago. That's one-tenth the amount that City has spent who sit one place above them in the table right now. Uh, So let's talk some pros and cons here, Peter. Uh, What are your thoughts on Poch's comments? Do you think spending more is going to help the Spurs, or is there another component missing from this team as a whole? I think it's hard to spend more than 50 million when you have an empty stadium sitting there that is never going to get built. Uh, There's rumors now that it's not going to be done before the end of the season. Um, that's definitely going to hurt the investment that Daniel Levy can make in the first team because you can't get the NFL in there. Um, if it's not done, they're not going to play in there. You're not going to get that extra money. You're not going to get that extra sponsorship. There's a lot of things that go into this uh, this net spend that Pochettino has had. He's spent the money well. He's spent the money very well. Uh, for where they're positioned in the league. Um, and I think they could go out and spend higher values on players. But then again, you don't necessarily see the return on your investment. Um, and I think they've been burned by that a couple times earlier. So I think Daniel Levy's kind of tightening the purse strings a little bit just to say, well, you know, we have a new stadium to pay for. We're already doing well in the league. We're in the last 16 of the Champions League. You know, we're in the semifinals of the Carabao Cup. We're still in the FA Cup. There's still a lot of eggs in our basket. Do we really need to spend a lot? I think that now that Harry Kane is injured and Son has gone off to the Asian games, I think Levy has to hit the, the panic button right now and say, let's not panic buy. 
but we need to bring somebody in. We need to get something in right now. I think maybe he'll have $30 million to play with, um, but it's hard to scrounge money together right now for Spurs. And it's not because they're cheap. It's not because they don't have the money to spend. It's just in other assets right now. Yeah, and so like Daniel Levy is a businessman, first and foremost. And if he can't make you know, the spreadsheet balanced, or if he can't make the spreadsheet work for the overall goal, which is to move into that new stadium, then he's not going to spend a single pound on a player. But now that the World Cup's catching up to some of these players, now that you have this injury, like mini injury crisis at a very crucial part of the season for Spurs, you know, who who may well be out of the title race, we don't really know yet, still a little bit too early to call, but they're definitely in a top four scrap. You know, with a resurgent Man- Manchester United, which, you know, they faced off and we saw the results of that. They do need investment badly. I don't think even Levy can deny that now. Whether or not they're going to get anybody in January of quality, that's a hard that's a hard thing to predict. Where they need it, definitely striker. Where else do you think they need it? Um, I definitely think they need someone else on the wings. Yeah. Uh, when you look at Spurs play, if their fullbacks aren't attacking on the wings... They really don't have anything else out there. Now that Son's going to be gone uh, for, I'd, I'd say, the next month, South Korea usually does pretty well in the Asian games. Um, you don't have anything else outside, so you're playing up the middle the whole time. And with Musa Sissoko out now as well, that's another cog that you're missing in the midfield. Um, so the only thing you can really do is force the ball out wide. Play the ball out wide. Keep it out of the center of the midfield because Erickson's not strong enough. You don't have Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer's out for the season. You don't have Musa Sissoko anymore. You're missing Harry Kane up front. You're going to play Lorente up front. He can hold the ball up, but what's he going to do afterwards? You know, Deli Alley, great player. Don't know how strong he is. Lucas Moore is going to come in, and he's going to give a good shift. Uh, but you need something else. See, if, if I were Daniel Levy, I could just say, look, you know, Deli knows how to score a few. His hold-up play is pretty good. Why not play him in the hole? Why not, not in the holes so of the, the nine? And then put Ericsson in behind. I think the, the problem with that, it's a good idea. It's probably what they're going to do. But then you have nothing out wide. Well, Lamella? Lamella is spotty at best. Sometimes he plays really well. Sometimes he doesn't play really well. Oh, let's just add Victor Winyama also out for the season. Um, he's he's pretty much always out. If it's not a red card, it's an injury. So, yeah. And just to highlight the importance of Kane and Son for this squad, uh, a, f- a fun fact for you guys is that since September 15th, uh, the Spurs have not played a game that either Son or Kane have not started. Um, so if Kane wasn't starting, Son was, and if Son wasn't starting, Kane was. But just to kind of, for this run of form that they had been on, um, that just to kind of point out the importance of these two players for them and having them both out, possibly both out at this point, um, it, it's going to be detrimental to the, the, the Spurs side. It's it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a difficult start to the season, or sorry, I should say start to the year. Um I think I really think that Daniel Levy needs to give Pochettino a little bit of leeway here and say, okay, you can spend a little bit of money. Um, obviously, we're not going to spend $100 million and get Frankie de Jong. I wish we could, but realistically, we're not going to do that. Yeah, but then, you know, you're suddenly putting a lot of hopes on an 18-year-old who's ever played in England. And I think that's the biggest issue, is 
unless you can find a seasoned Premier League goal scorer, because we've seen what happened with Vincent Janssen. He was the Dutch leading goal scorer when Spurs bought him. Um, came into the Premier League, couldn't find the net. Luke de Jong for Newcastle as well. Luke de Jong, same thing. Um, it, it's hard. It's hard. The Premier League is a different monster. It's completely different than any other league in the world. Um, and that's why we love it so much. And for the sake of argument, it's not just coming into the Premier League. You're coming into a title contending team, potentially. Yeah, the pressure's on there for sure. Uh, let's just quickly jump across the pond to the Liga. Uh, Real Madrid have made a successful bid for Manchester City youngster Brahim Diaz. As a team on the decline, uh, currently sitting fifth in the table, is this a positive move for Real Madrid, Cengiz? It smacks of PR to me because he's young, he's Spanish, and there isn't a lot of feel-good uh vibes around madrid right now the fifth you know bale's always injured they didn't replace ronaldo how can you replace ronaldo right um solari has not been good enough for madrid and i'm not really sure why you're signing a midfielder when the very fact is like you need another striker you need another winger like what's his name vincius vinicius Junior, Vinicius Junior, he's been good from what I understand, but he hasn't been mercurial. He hasn't been talismanic. He's very young still, and relying on him is a mistake. He's playing left wing right now. Karim Benzema, five goals in all competitions or something ridiculously low like that. How is your senior striker charged with leading the squad? Now, granted, he plays, he's fit, he's always putting in a shift, but he's not producing. How can you keep going on with a five goal a season striker at this point? For a team like Real Madrid, the money should be spending elsewhere. They should be getting in a top-class striker. And they need to be replacing Bale right now because he cannot stay fit. I mean, I'll be completely honest with you. When it came between Bale and Ronaldo, they replaced the wrong one. They sold the wrong player. Ronaldo was Real Madrid. When you take the Ronaldo out of Real Madrid, you took the Real Madrid out of Real Madrid. You, you, t- you took, well, from a numbers perspective, you took 45 to 50 goals out of that team. And you didn't replace it. And you didn't replace it. No, you relied on a guy who is always injured. Bale, for some strange reason, great athlete, can't seem to keep fit. I don't know I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's his eating, his regimen. I don't know what Bell it is. Made of butter. He, he can't keep fit. And it's a huge problem for Real Madrid. I realistically think they should have sold him to someone else and used that money to rebuild a little bit. That's what Zidane said, though. Zidane said to Perez, he said that he wanted to keep Ronaldo and sell Bale. Did the opposite. And I don't know if that was a direct result of him leaving. You know, I don't know the whole politics behind it all, but... The request was there, and it was the right request. You keep Ronaldo, 45, 50 goals guaranteed a season. And now he's doing it for Juventus. Bale, you can't keep fit. And I'm surprised they didn't go for somebody. In, like That's why they wanted Hazard so badly, I think, for a period of time. But now Hazard is not moving, and there's no way they're going to get him in now. You know? Well, and I think the whole Courtois experiment has been a failure uh, for Real Madrid. He's not the goalkeeper they thought he was. Uh, realistically, they should have gone a little bit harder after De Gea. Um, fax machine. Yeah, fax machines. I don't know. We still use those, but supposedly three years ago they did. Um, I think if Real Madrid had David De Gea, we would be having a lot less of this 
fifth place Real Madrid conversation, and we'd be having a second place Real Madrid conversation. Uh, obviously, Barcelona is Barcelona, um, but something's got to change. I think a special shout out to the well, shout out to Sergio Ramos. He's had a terrible season. He's not been playing well at all, and I think that's got a lot to do with uh, why uh, Courtois hasn't been able to settle in and show him show everybody what he's made of. It's because he's constantly having to either bail them out or being put in really, really tough situations. I think you can add the same for Luka Modric. Hasn't had a great season. Um, he's just tired. He is tired. Uh, obviously, you go to the World Cup final, I think he just partied his ass off and <laughs> went into the La Liga season. So um, I think this is going to be a uh, little bit of a revolution. I think that's what they need. At Real Madrid. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. And I think it's safe to say that uh, if Real Madrid do not do something either miraculous in the league, um, especially if they don't make a Champions League position, which I think is highly unlikely, but possible, uh, or if they don't go deep in the Champions League this year, I think it's safe to say that the end of this season uh, could be Solari's uh, end as well. I think it would be before the end of the season. Um, If they're out in the round of 16, he's gone. If they don't improve on their league position, he's gone. Uh, there's a lot of variables, obviously. Um, but it just hasn't worked out with him. You need something else. Uh, maybe they can bring in Solskjaer. If Manchester United signs Zidane, they can bring in Solskjaer. And then they'll be fine. They'll win the Champions League. All right, well, let's stick with La Liga right now, everybody. Uh, so Adrian Rabio has been linked with a move to Barcelona after deciding not to re-sign with PSG uh, in a surprise move. So the, the hope was for Rabio to join Camp Nou during this transfer window, but it is looking more and more unlikely now. Uh, Rabio has been talking with other clubs in Europe as well in the Prem. Uh, Barcelona are not happy about this. Uh, Rabio's been linked with Liverpool, Spurs, um, and although Barcelona, I think, would be happy if they landed Rabio, uh, Jordi Alba, currently Barcelona left back, is not. Um, he's said to be furious with this possible Rabio move. Uh, he's currently in the midst of contract negotiations, and with Rabio's reported salary of 10 million euros annually, Alba feels hard done by as the club are fighting with him over his salary expectations. Peter, is Alba just being bitter, or does he have a legitimate gripe here? I think he has a legitimate gripe. He's, he is what you think of when you think of Barcelona. You think of Jordi Alba is one of the... He's the first name on the team sheet. He's got to be. At least one of them. Just to one-up you there, I think he's what you think of when you hear the term left-back. Well, exactly. He's world-class. Adrian Rabiot hasn't proven himself yet in any capacity. Didn't make the France squad uh, going into the world. Well, I guess he did make the France squad. Got sent sent home. home. Because he's a little whiner and complainer. He criticized Spurs, even though his national team captain is their goalkeeper and captain. I think this this guy should not get anything. Realistically, let him rot on PSG's bench. I don't think Barcelona should buy him. I think Jordi Alba is right for being mad about this. Barcelona should throw a contract at Alba to say sorry about this. Because... They need him. Who else Who else are you going to get? Is Rabio really going to make you happy? And if Rabio is going to make Jordi Alba unhappy, then you should say no Rabio. I think from a Barcelona perspective, I think the reason they're going for Rabio is because he's sort of seen as a long-term replacement for Ivan Rakitic, who is, I think, on the wrong side of th- 33, 32. He's, he's getting up there in, 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 in the years. But I agree. Like, he's a bad egg. 
why do you want this character around Barcelona who already have so much instability with their board, making bad decision after bad decision, and they're disrespecting one of their best ever left backs, currently one of the best left backs in the game, you know, behind Andy Robertson. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Uh, <laughs> but you don't, you don't get a petulant kid, give him 12, 13, 14 million euros a year. You don't, you don't get a kid. Now, granted, he's being signed on a Bosman, so their wages are always higher when there's no transfer fee involved. But you don't disrespect your, your, one of your best players of the club by paying the new kid more than they're paying you. That's just not on. That's bad behavior. And I think Alba is absolutely right not to stand by bad behavior. All right, let's uh, jump back over to England right now, uh, going out of the championship. So Tammy, Tammy Abraham has rejected a loan deal to Premier League side Wolves, uh, deciding to see out the rest of his loan spell with Aston Villa. They're currently fighting for promotion. Uh, they're just about five points outside of a playoff spot. His parent club, Chelsea, have insisted that they are not going to sign they're not going to sell the 21-year-old in this transfer window. Uh, and they've given him the choice as to where he wants to see out the second half of his season. Uh, this move makes sense to me. I mean, he's performing well for Aston Villa. He's got 16 goals and 21 appearances, three goals in his last two games. He's developing well down there in the championship. On the other side, you got Jimenez, you got Jota. Uh, they've all been performing well for the Wolves this season. I think Abraham is better off staying with Villa, trying to help them reach promotion. Uh, Peter, is this a case of if it ain't broke, don't fix it? 100%. I think Tammy Abraham's making the right move by staying with Villa. Um, he's going to get much more satisfaction by seeing them through to promotion. Um, and personally, I think this is a better, as much as it's the championship, it's a better display of what his talents are. And I think it makes him a little bit more valuable than going to Wolves and kind of, you know, being a squad rotation player. Um, being the main man at Aston Villa is good. It's good for him. It's good for his career. I think it's good for his uh, England opportunities as well. As much as he's playing in the championship, he's scoring. He's scoring at a rapid pace. Um, Southgate would be, he would be, uh, you know, ill-advised to not at least look at Tammy Abraham and maybe give him a cap um, and see what happens. But I think this is a great move for him. And I think he made the smart choice. I, I agree completely. I think even though it is the championship, Aston Villa are a very big club. You know, they, they sell out their games every every week. And the biggest thing for uh, any young player is playing time. And to do it at a club like Aston Villa, be their top scorer and, and you know, be a nailed on starter that's really impressive he should absolutely not change that granted wolves premier league football they're not a bad team they've already got some pretty impressive scalps under their belt but you don't give up a good thing like this this doesn't come around often for anybody let alone a young player with huge, huge potential and really good England prospects. All right. Uh, let's talk about some crisis right now at Stoke City. Uh, the Potters have sacked manager Gary Rowett after only eight months in charge. Uh, there were high expectations this season for Stoke City, many expecting them to earn promotion back to the top flight. They're currently sitting in 14th in the championship table. Uh, for a team lacking stability on this touchline, I mean, you've got to think that Stoke needs to get this next appointment right or else they could be in deep, deep trouble. Stoke can't afford to get right relegated again they just can't and I know like there's more games in the championship season to kind of correct those wrongs but you know at this point promotions are off the table 
it's very unlikely that they're going to get into that the the playoff positions for the championship. They need stability for sure, and they can't afford to get in a big Sam type or anything like that. They definitely need to think outside the managerial box a bit, find somebody young, somebody with broad ideas, somebody who can transform Stoke into like mold Stoke in their own vision, much like what Mark Hughes did for them and completely shed their their uh, rugby hooligan tag for that they had for a very very long time. It's a good opportunity for Stoke. It's a good opportunity for any kind of young manager who's looking to cut their teeth. I think that's what they were helping with uh, Rowett, uh, that he would come in and kind of change the culture of Stoke City. But it's really hard to change that culture. Um, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say hot take. uh, Peter Crouch as player manager. That would be really cool. I think that would be amazing. I just cannot believe that Peter Crouch is still playing. He's amazing. He still does the robot. It's just it's unbelievable. One one banger a season he's good for. And that's one robot a season, so it's perfect. Just the amount of robot you need, right? All right, so that's going to do it for part two. Coming up in our final segment, we will look ahead to next week's games, score predictions, and lastly, our first ever penalty segment. All this coming up on the Starting Eleven podcast. Welcome back to part three of the Starting Eleven podcast. All right, let's dive right into our predictions for the upcoming fixtures, games that you're excited for, anything that you guys are particularly looking to see. Uh, let's start right now with Crystal Palace at Liverpool coming up on the 19th of January, 10 a.m. Eastern time. It's going to be interesting. Um, so Palace handed City that big defeat a couple weeks back off that absolute banger from Andrus Townsend. Uh, should be an easy three points for Liverpool with Palace. They're currently sitting in 14th in the table. Uh, however, Ever, uh, Liverpool's form over the last couple games has not looked great. Uh, they managed to squeeze past Brighton, but you know what? I think they're going to be looking for a point to prove. I'm calling it 3-1 Liverpool is my prediction, Peter. Um, I, I think you're probably right with that. Um, Palace, <laughs> unless Wilfred Zaha goes, Palace doesn't go. Um, and I think Liverpool just is much more threatening, uh, much more creative. And I really think that, uh, I think you're right. I think Liverpool's going to run away with this one. I'm calling it 5-0 to Liverpool because for a couple of reasons, we don't concede at home. Not really. We're not going to concede to Palace of all places, of all teams. No disrespect. Like like Peter said, it's all about Wilfried Zaha. If he plays well, then we might have an issue. The Townsend goal was literally one in a million against Manchester City. And then from there, they didn't really know how to respond. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think our attackers are due a big game, and I think we're going to get it at Palace. All right, so Leicester at Wolves coming up on Saturday. Uh, Wolves are currently sitting in 11th on 29 points. Leicester sitting in 8th, 31 points. Wolves have demonstrated this remarkable ability to play extraordinarily well against uh, big sides in the Prem. Coming off their win against Liverpool, I think they're going to be brimming with confidence. I'm calling it 2-1 for the Nuno's Wolves. I think that's a fair assessment. I might even give it a 3-1 to Wolves because Wolves do have firepower, even in midfield. Uh, Leicester look a little bit worse for wear right now. And this could be the game that Puel goes if they lose. I think you're right in that, Cengiz. Um... He's on thin ice. Very, very thin ice. Um, Leicester's at a point where if they don't change something, they could start to uh, dive pretty deep in that Premier League table because there are teams like Wolves that can overtake them. Um, I I think that Leicester needs a win. I don't see them winning, though. I think Wolves are going to 
pull out the win. Wolves are at home as well. Yeah. So at the Molyneux, I think uh, we're going to see a, probably, I'd say a 2-0 Wolves, but uh, we'll see. All right. So United, Brighton, uh, I'm calling it 2-1 United. I think that we're going to see Solskjaer get his seventh win in a row in charge. United, they're brimming with confidence right now. Uh, they're flying. They're playing freely. They're happy. I don't see Brighton beating them, so I'm calling this game for United. 3-1 for me, for United. I, I don't see them losing this one. This one should be fairly open and shut. Seventh win for Solskjaer, that would be pretty incredible to see. I don't see Brighton scoring a goal. Um, I think it's probably going to be like a 4-0 United. Uh, I think Pogba's going to score again. You'll probably get a, uh, a brace from Rashford. Uh, he's flying right now. Um, and let's just throw one in there from uh, Jesse Lingard. All right, let's jump to Chelsea Arsenal. Uh, I'm calling this one for Chelsea. Arsenal has just been on a terrible run of form lately. Uh, I'm going 3-1. I was actually going to go 3-1 Chelsea as well. Um, I don't think Arsenal has it. I think they built up this whole Lucas Torreira is the greatest holding midfielder in the uh, in the Premier League. And I think Jorginho is going to show him that, uh, no, he's not. I think Arsenal are going to show up because it is the derby, even though they have like 3,000 derbies because there's so many teams in London. But it's Chelsea, you know. Arsenal always shows up against Chelsea. That's always a good game. I think it's going to be 2-1. I think uh, Arsenal do have a point to prove after the West Ham loss. They are still a team struggling to find their identity under Emery. They've shown really good form in the early part of the season. They've shown patches of what they can be. But, you know, they just the personnel aren't really performing well individually or collectively. So it's going to be an interesting game. All right. And lastly, let's look at a Spurs-Fulham. Uh, Spurs should win this game. Uh, there's no question about it. However, I'm actually going to call this one a 1-1 draw. Spurs have yet to draw this season. Uh, they're due for one. Uh, there's a very good chance that Harry Kane will not be playing this game. With Sun out, we talked about earlier in the pod how they're lacking uh, attack, they're lacking finishing. Uh, so I think that we're going to see a 1-1 draw here. I think you're right in the fact that Spurs don't have any attack. Um, I actually see a 2-1 Fulham win. Um, Spurs are going to go all Spursy on it. And uh, we're, I feel like they're just going to they're going to hit a little bit of a lull in their season right now, um, especially with Son being gone, Kane being out, Sissoko being out. Um, you're going to have to rely on Oliver Skip, Harry Winks. Great young players. Uh, great. Um, we hope they're going to be great. But realistically, um, they're still young guys. I think John Michael Seary is going to run riot. You do, too, realize that Fulham's like 19th. I do. Maybe I realize giving that. Him a lot of credit here. I'm curious I, why you think that. I realize that. I think that Fulham themselves have a great team. Okay. So I think that individually, their players are great. I think Renieri needs to pull them together. Um, and I think he'll be able to because he's going to say Spurs are limping into this game. Yeah. They just lost a huge game. They might have lost the title or at least a title challenge yeah. against Manchester United. Spurs are limping into this game. If Ranieri is going to make a point that he should keep the job and that Fulham shouldn't be relegated, these are the games he has to do it in. This is true. The games where there's a wounded, a wounded team, he needs to just, you know, finish it. And he needs to do it for Fulham's sake more exactly. than anything. And so, uh, yeah, that's a good point. I, like, Ranieri is the person you want to have 
in that dressing room if you need to get that result after you know a, a wounded sh- giant like like Tottenham are. Personally, I'm. I know I, my gut feeling says Spurs are going to win, but I'll put a little twist on it. It's going to be five nil, but the five own goals. <laughs> <laughs> All off of the boy's forehead. <laughs> All right, and lastly, it is time for our brand new penalty segment. So the way this segment's going to work is that each of us are going to have two shots to make. Our shots will consist of one take or something that we liked from the week and one miss, something that we did not particularly care for that happened. I will get us started with my take of the week. Had to be Pogba's no-look back heel during that interview in Dubai. I'm not sure if you guys saw it. Uh, It was insane. So... uh, on Man U TV, he's sitting there on the sidelines. They're doing their 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 warm weather training. He's giving an interview. Ball just comes flying out of nowhere. Producer kind of gives him a heads up, and without even looking, he just uses his back heel to just pat it away and continues talking to the interviewer like nothing happened. Just pure instinct. It was it was incredible. <laughs> Is it like one of those David Beckham commercials where he's on the beach and he kicks the ball into the? Uh into the garbage can. Do you guys remember that? I do. Oh, I remember those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just shows up. He just took one look at it and he's just like, okay. Yeah. The only thing that probably would have made it more Pogba if, is after he, he back it away, if he got up and started dancing or something. Like it just... No, he sat down for a haircut. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Maybe a dab. Another yeah. streak through his hair. <laughs> uh, somebody comes in and changes his pair of sneakers to a pair of sneakers you've never seen before. <laughs> All right, and uh, for my miss, I'm going to stick with Pogba on this one, and it's got to be his tackle on Deli Ali. Uh, it was a careless challenge. Should have been a red. That tackle was was not okay. Um, you see some of the, like, the you see tackles like that, you're looking at leg breakers, uh, and so I think that they need to sort of just stamp that out, and uh, that should have been a straight red. So for me, that's my miss. Get rid of that for the week, and uh, let's come back next week and see what happens. Uh, Peter. All right, I'm going to go a little bit uh, off t- off topic, I guess, with my take for this week. Um, big up to Reading FC. All right, the Royals picking up a 2-0 victory over Nottingham Forest in the championship. Uh, Reading's fighting for survival in the championship. Uh, so a 2-0 victory against a decent team like Nottingham Forest is huge. Um, and my miss for this week, I'm going to say Marco Arnautovic in general <laughs> is my miss. Uh, the fact that this guy want, wants to go to China when big teams want him is an issue. Um, I think... What was that, sorry? He's a mercenary. He is, he is. He's a gun for hire. That's exactly what he is. But I, I think that's an issue in world football right now. Um, and he's obviously trying to capitalize on it and make as much money as he can. But realistically, it should be about the glory, right? You should want to go and win the highest competitions not win the chinese super league yeah no, i i don't really have an issue with him going to china i think people are entitled to make the best career choices that they can i mean you you wouldn't turn down double your salary if it was offered by somebody else right no none of us would but i think my issue with aranovich is one is it well a lot of things mostly his hair but uh, <laughs> it's it's um just the way he's gone about it just bad mouthing, saying bad things in the press, having his agent be a mouthpiece, not going through official channels, airing out dirty his dirty, dirty laundry in public, basically. All right, and Cengiz, what are your takes and miss for the week? So, I have a, a a couple of takes actually. The first thing I want to talk about is uh, Rangers in the Scottish Premier League. Uh, the signings Defoe and Davis. Now these both of these guys 
you know, I mean, Rangers are locked into a title race in Scottish Premier League along with Kilmarnock, Celtic and Aberdeen. And that doesn't happen ever. Usually it's a two horse race about this time and then Celtic runs away. But they are literally, you know, three, four points within each other. I think Celtic have a game in hand right now at the top of the table. These are interesting signings to me because they're not the best footballers. And I know Scottish Premier League isn't the best league, but Defoe at 36, Davis, you know, who has the turning circle of about... Davis, who has a turning circle of a tree, let's be honest. <laughs> Even though he's 31, he still has lots of 31 or 32, I forget how old he is. Is it older signings? I find these signings really interesting because... You know, these are cultural signings. These are dressing room signings. And you, they're character signings. They're character yeah. signings. And I think, you know, you, I've seen a lot of interviews in the last few weeks of Jar just act, absolutely raking his team over the coals over bad halves, bad moments, bad performances. Nobody hates losing like Gerard does. And I like seeing this for years and years being a Liverpool fan. And I think it's very interesting to see two veterans being brought in to a fairly inexperienced side. I think that's really cool. My second take, if I'm allowed to do a second take, sure. um, is the way uh, Burton's manager responded after losing 9-0 to City. He was just like, yeah, I, I, th I think we were screwed when we saw the draw. We just came here. We, kn we knew we weren't going to win, but we gave it our best, and I think it, it, was a, it was a good game. I'm very proud of the boys. And I thought, that's really refreshing. And, and, and you know what he said at the end of it? Well, we still got the away leg. They can come back and win 10-0. Hey, it's possible. Anything is possible in the game of football. The ball is round. <laughs> the ball is round. <laughs> the ball is round. <laughs> it very much is. And then my miss for the week, uh, this one's fairly easy. It's just United winning. Yeah. <laughs> I just, uh, I don't like seeing them win, so the, I, I, I don't I like can, it. I can feel the hate already. This isn't even sure. anything. This is nothing. <laughs> If you guys get top four, that is going to be some real hatred. The possibilities there under Solskjaer, he may go undefeated. We may, we may just see it. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves, okay? He's only won six games. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've got more money on cancer being cured this year than you know, Solskjaer <laughs> being the second coming of Sir Alex Ferguson. But that's just me. All right, and that's going to do it for us here on the Starting Eleven Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please make sure to leave us a rating and a review with your thoughts about the show. You can follow on Twitter at XI Podcast, and please feel free to send us your questions or comments to the Starting Eleven Podcast at gmail.com. That's the Starting XI Podcast at gmail.com, and we will answer them on the pod the following week until then on behalf of chengiz peter and myself cheers and thanks for listening <laughs>